and welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host Reynoso here with my boy. Soltero, what's up guys? You have a good Halloween? I had a great Halloween. I went as Ricky Bobby. Yes, it was sir. really, really, really fun. Yeah, yes, man. Well, Hell I'm yeah. gonna keep the tradition going for a little bit here. But I wanted to actually, you know, bring up an important topic today because some major news happened in the football world, in the international football world, with Saudi Arabia essentially winning the bid for the 2034 World Cup. We hinted at this potentially happening almost in a conspiracy-like way when we were talking about the official nomination of the 2030 World Cup and it going to Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. We talked about, you know, maybe they're setting it up for Saudi Arabia to have it in 2034. Well, the final day to submit a nomination was this week, I believe. And the only other country that was in contention was Australia. And they decided to pull their bid out, thus meaning that Saudi Arabia will be getting the World Cup in 2034. Yeah, man. I mean, based off of all the information that you gave me, you gave the viewers in that episode where you brought it up, I had basically already put in my mind that Saudi Arabia was going to host in 2034. Like, I mean, the amount of money that they have, the amount of money that they're investing into the sport right now, it's all just gearing towards hosting a World Cup. So I'm not surprised whatsoever by this news. I don't think anybody should be. But I saw a really interesting question that was raised, and it's kind of the sentiment that I've been feeling for the last couple of years. And it's the sense that, like, can the World Cup truly ever be hosted in a poorer country nowadays? Like, truly, truly think about that. Because I initially brought this idea up when it came to Conmebol and who they choose to host the Copa America. Because, bro, like, it's just Brazil. Like, Brazil's the only one. And the United States are hosting the Copa America. Like, like we've been asking, like, is Bolivia ever going to host it again? Ecuador, Chile, and of course, the answer is no, and it's not because the countries themselves don't want it or that Comable don't want to pick them. It's just that there's no money. There's no money to put in the infrastructures of those countries to host a big tournament, bro, so it's like... You could extend this out to the World Cup and you get Saudi Saudi Arabia getting the hosting rights. You get Argentina and Uruguay barely co-hosting a Spain-Morocco World Cup. Like, it's, I think it's just going to be like this, where you get a really, really small country hosting a couple of games in a World Cup, and then it goes to the actual richer country who hosts it mainly. I think this is just going to be the trend from here on out, man. And it's honestly kind of annoying because, like, I remember when I first got into the sport, it was in South Africa. And I was just like, oh, shit, that, the World Cup can go anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, South Africa is definitely probably one of the more better-off African countries economically. But even then, it just gave me hope that, like, the FIFA would just choose yeah. any country that was willing to host it. But I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I really don't. It's going to be a rich country and then, like, a just smaller country that just doesn't have the capital. And they'll get, like, one or two games. But I, I think that's where the FIFA World Cup is trending. It's just going to be one big country little small countries for a couple hosting games and that's about it bro so i'm I'm just not surprised by any of this man this shit is hot bro (laughs) (laughs) a big talking point about all of this about saudi arabia getting the world cup in 2034 you know people you know accusing um fifa of corruption because of the selection or just how kind of how this ended up happening so conveniently i think it's i'm just a little annoyed i'm a little annoyed because the (laughs) I think I saw a number, 10 countries will be hosting the World Cup technically yeah. in the next eight years. 
it's just a little annoying that certain continents aren't able to see an entire World Cup out, such as South America, who will only get a few games in 2030. Africa will only get a couple games with Morocco hosting yeah. a few, but they're considering those as official World Cup hosting events for those continents. And that's the part where I think it is a little corrupt. It's just not fair to those countries. They each deserve to have their chance at hosting a World Cup. Like you said, like it'd be great if we saw you, the 2030 World Cup in Ghana. The 2030 yeah, World Cup in Cameroon, bro. Like, or the 2030 World Cup in Uruguay or something like that. Fully, exactly. full commitment. I'm here for that. But this, this convenient selection they had where they combined a bunch of countries and they gave them their opportunity to have their moments but aren't giving them the full opportunity, that's where I do get a little annoyed. On the flip side, though, bro, we've talked about this. We've been talking about how Saudi Arabia, going into the 2022 World Cup, has been making moves. And this was before yeah. they made crazy transfer window marketing moves, such as, you know, even getting Cristiano Ronaldo and then this past window going absolutely crazy in the transfer market. Even before that, we've been seeing that they, you know, hired Herb Renard to lead their national team, which is very a very smart hiring. Yeah. The football they're teaching there is somewhat progressive and they're trying to make a name for themselves on the international and club football stage. And we highlighted that before and it's why we saw them actually have a somewhat notable World Cup where they beat the goddamn World Cup winners out of Argentina at one point, man. They have a golden opportunity now, a golden opportunity now in 2034 to build up to a tournament that big, already having a very, very good league in the Saudi Pro League that already will have so many stars. But not just that, they'll have a chance, a genuine chance to kind of emulate and parallel what the USA is doing right now in the build-up to 2026. We saw Lionel Messi come to the MLS, come to Inter Miami three years before we get the chance to host the World Cup here in the States. I truly do think that once that 2030 World Cup is over, 2031, it starts building up to it, I could see a guy like Mbappe. I could see a guy like Vinny Jr. potentially making that big money move over to Saudi Arabia to help promote the game the same, the same way Messi's doing it right now, to help build it, to help almost be like an ambassador for the sport and for the tournament. And then you just add all that to culminate in a 2034 World Cup and we'll have the chance to see a very special World Cup. I just think the way they got it was a little corrupt. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now you're thinking of a great point. Bro, bro they're going to bring a 45-year-old Messi out of retirement to, <laughs> to hype up that at World this Cup, point, bro. They might, bro. I can see it. With the money they have, they can get whoever they want. Uh, Ronaldo will probably retire by that point, but he will have some sort of role, I believe, because yeah. of how he, was already had, how he already has basically a home in Saudi Arabia now. Yeah, dude, a really good point. It, it makes me think of, you know, when Qatar got awarded the hosting rights for 2022, you know, they had like 10 years to build a program, to get their league going, and to build a competitive team. And honestly, within that 10-year span, I thought they did a pretty good job. You make that same parallel to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. They now have 11 years to build, wow. and I would say their starting point dude. is way dude. higher dude, than Qatar. Qatar started from scratch, scratch man. dude. Yeah, they, they didn't, dude, I didn't, they didn't have an international team, essentially. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. no disrespect. They just really didn't. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina in the World Cup, and they're competitive. They're yeah. very good within their region as well. And so, like, if they can just keep building, keep promoting the game and hyping it up for the next 11 years, I think Saudi Arabia... Definitely will have an incredible chance to do something very, very special as a host country. So from the footballing perspective, 
obviously I love it, man. I mean, any sort of country has never hosted before. Like, how can you not love something like that? So Saudi Arabia as a country, as a team, definitely has my support. So I'll be very curious to see what happens in the next 11 years. And dude, yeah. as you said, like in 2030, they're going to be getting all these big name players. And they're already kind of doing that right now, bro. Because dude, a year ago, I didn't care about the Saudi Pro League. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. Now, every now and then I'm like, Okay, I'll answer yeah. one today. Yeah. You know, you know that that's already a crazy start. So I can really see the Saudi Pro League getting huge over the next ten years. Dude, and we we talked to you know Saudi fans during the live streams, and we we said, bro, if there's one country we're open to getting bought out from, bro, it's Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm, man. Mm -hmm, and so if the show continues on for the next ten years, well, let's move out there. We'll let's... actually be in Saudi Arabia for the World Cup. Let's do we'll it. We'll have to go. We'll bro. move our studio over there. Everything, man. <laughs> for real, Come happily on, man. too, happily. <laughs> so we could find ourselves having a home in Saudi Arabia but then also seeing just a crazy World Cup in 2034, which is just crazy to project right now. But once the time comes, it'll be incredible to see what Asia can do as a host continent with Saudi Arabia leading the line. So we've talked on the pod about our three favorite midfielders. So the guys that stand out to us the most in the middle of the field. And we mentioned guys like Modric, De Bruyne, Zidane. And it was a great little video. And it was great to get our thoughts out there about who just who we like the most in that specific role. But I actually want to move it over to the back line now. And I'd like to hear at least your thoughts as to which defenders stand out to you the most in terms of which ones are your favorite, bro? Your favorite. I can maybe name one or two. Maybe a couple athletic players have to be there. But yeah. I really don't know which ones you'd ultimately go with. And so I'm interested to hear, who are your three favorite defenders in world football? Bro, hearing this question really makes me realize that all the defenders that I really, really admired don't really play anymore. Yeah. Do you think we're in a bit of a defending drought? No, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if that's true. All I can say is there was a certain type of defender that I really used to fear mm -hmm. and that I would hate to play, or if they were on my team, I would absolutely love to have. And in my opinion... I just don't have that same sentiment anymore when I play, play against an opponent. You know, I'm talking about like, dude, Sergio Ramos, for example. You asked me this question five years ago, I would say, like, I hate the guy, but one of the best center backs I've ever fucking seen. Yeah. Sergio Ramos. And, you know, it's it still with Sevilla, but, you know, way, yeah, way yeah. past it. Yeah. Dani Carvajal. Prime, prime Dani Carvajal. One of the scariest fullbacks, one of the most efficient fullbacks the game has ever seen. Come on now. Marcelo, like, good yeah. lord, like, the flair that Marcelo had. Honestly, what other fullback even plays like Marcelo nowadays? It's tough you, to find. It's tough to find. You could say Hakimi, but Hakimi's all about pace, you know? It's not really about that flair. Maybe he's just as good. Or maybe, no, I don't think he is, but there's something. There's some elements out there for other fullbacks. But Diego Godin, you know? Yeah. There's just, for wow. me, it doesn't really, really exist anymore as far as the fullbacks and the center backs that I personally used to admire and i will say defenders bro center back specifically they have a way of of having a, like a mystic mythical aura to them mm. especially when you look back at the past when you look at like the goat the goat defenders they all almost seem like roman they seem like part of like yeah. a greek mythology Nemanja Vidic with man united paolo maldini <laughs> that, that doesn't even sound like a real name now rio ferdinand like yeah man he yeah. sounds like gods bro but nowadays you got chema jimenez bro <laughs> you, got, you got random yeah, yeah exactly random That's ass what characters right about, man. and no disrespect you but you can't rely on I, I think a little bit of that that mystical nature that they used to have for some reason has kind of 
has kind of just gone away a little bit. We still have some very highly talented defenders, but something's different, and I can't really put my finger on it. Exactly. It's exactly what I'm trying to say. But if I had to choose three favorite defenders right now, and I'll say this before I list them, I don't even know if it's based off of skill or talent. Sometimes it is. And the first one absolutely is, and I'm going to go Virgil van Dijk. Let's go. He, when he joined Liverpool... He was like the first modern defender that made me realize, I was like, oh, okay. You know, you, you need a really, really good center back. And what he's done with Liverpool, he's completely changed them into a championship winning side. Definitively the best center back when he's on it in the Premier League. And I think he's completely changed the course of Liverpool alone, guiding that entire back line. But beyond that, the attributes that he has on the pitch, dude, he's so calm in every situation the amount of confidence that gives a fan or a viewer and his teammates his coach must be completely priceless like come on Virgil van Dijk is probably one of my favorite center backs for sure and I, I'd like to I got I got a piggyback on that yeah, because please. we are one for one right now <laughs> it's he's on my top three list 100% especially as a Liverpool fan myself Virgil van Dijk to me was the first player where I really understood the term Rolls Royce defender because mm. I think he embodies it his stature his frame it's it's royalty in that backline bro it's so reliant it's so consistent and the peak that he was able to reach I think was one of the greatest peaks we've seen out of any defender to ever play the game using it as a frame of reference you could look at the Ballon d'Or nominees and the winners of the past 10 years Virgil van Dijk finished in second place bro and I believe 2018 just a few points behind Lionel Messi yeah. if Messi did not exist Virgil van Dijk would be lifting the Ballon d'Or mm-hmm. as a defender dude and when you look at the history of this award it's an award that leans heavily towards offensive players so to be that high up in that list as a defender as a center back is remarkable bro it's remarkable yeah, and that run he had injecting himself into that Liverpool back line and then guiding them to back-to-back Champions League appearances, competing for the Premier League against an insanely stout and talented Manchester City. It was Virgil van Dijk, alongside other key players in the Liverpool squad, who were able to lead Liverpool to this insane age of glory that they've had in the past five or six years. Virgil van Dijk, easily one of my favorite players of all time. Dude, hell yeah, 100%. And honestly, I feel like any, any person who does watch football has to have some sort of crazy respect for Van Dyke, similar to the respect that I have for Ramos as an Atleti fan. And I, I just don't see how you don't like the way that he approaches the game as a, as a center back. But for my second favorite defender currently playing right now, I'm going to go to fullbacks right now. Okay. I'm going I'm to go fullbacks here. And as, a, as I was saying before, there's just... Nowadays, no real fullbacks that kind of embody the players that I used to like, like Marcelo or, you know, my very own Atleti, like Juan Fran, Felipe Luis, although Samuelino's definitely trying to. Uh, but I think I just need to see him play a little bit more before I call him my, maybe my favorite fullback. And, you know, when I look at the others, there's some honorable mentions, bro, like uh, Di Lorenzo with Napoli definitely one of them. Akraf Hakimi with PSG, definitely just such a talented fullback. Alfonso Davies, got to put him yeah. up there. Is probably one of the more flair, pace-heavy type of fullback. They're just also young, though, right now. They're I think so that's what young. it is. There's that, been a shift in the fullback position. And for that exact reason, when I really think about it, my favorite fullback, and it's very definitive, I'm going Kyle Walker. Oh, wow. D- like, easily one of my favorite players to watch. And for me, the best fullback right now in all of world football. I just can't really name a a better fullback in his position. But that's the point. 
all the really, really good pacey flair fullbacks are, are pretty young right now. They haven't been able to, you know, have like a 10-year-long career where they have become a definitive best fullback in their position. And so when I look at Kyle Walker, I see a guy who has done that, who has played the game, who has made that role his own and has dominated at it too. So I'm definitely going Kyle Walker is probably my second favorite uh, no, defender. That, that's a fair pick. That's a fair pick. He's not on my top three list. I'm surprised that, or maybe you still have a player there that is from, from Atleti, but I'm surprised you know, Felipe Luis didn't get into the conversation. Oh, so I'm you? only picking players who are playing right now. Sorry. Right now? Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, okay, then Kyle Walker would be, yeah, one of my, if I went current, he would be in my top three, I think, because mm. I think his personality and his character stands out so much. Dude, it stands he's out. a proud Englishman, but yeah. he's so fun to watch. He makes watching the fullback position an entertaining aspect of the game. And when he's going up against the best players in the world, I remember in that England-France match, it was so cool going into the game knowing that Mbappe and Kyle Walker would face off against yeah. one another and just that battle between two giants in their position going head to head. And we said it before, Kyle Walker has that ability to to shine in those situations and take it to a winger or a striker. So that's so incredible in today's modern game. And he has to be one of the best players in that position in world football right now. Yeah, I did. For me personally, I, I did throw it back a little bit here. I Ooh. threw it back to the to the golden era, to the old ages of football, and I got a little personal with it. Yeah. I had to pick a center back for myself and I think when I when I look at specifically the teams I support Liverpool Chivas and Mexico the defensive player that stands out to me the most has to be the legend the captain Rafa Marquez oh yeah Rafa no, Marquez yeah. That, that's a good one Rafa Marquez honestly I think we took him for granted bro <laughs> a stalwart an absolute rock in that back line for both Mexico and Barcelona and what's crazy about Rafa Marquez is that he's one of those few few CONCACAF players that was given the responsibility, was given that that confidence by the head coach and by the team to solidify himself in a role that oftentimes we'll see CONCACAF players have to make a name for themselves off of the bench. We saw like Pulisic, for example, having to come off the bench and now he's finally starting for AC Milan. Keylor Navas was on the bench until Iker Casillas retired and then he was able to get that spot. But Rafa Marquez, from the moment he got that opportunity coming from Monaco and winning a title in France goes over to Barcelona, inserts himself into the starting defensive lineup, and he stays there for years, bro, alongside one of the greatest Barcelona center backs we've seen in Carlos Puyol. And just creating an insane duo, an insane pair to guide them to Champions League trophies, to guide them to amazing La Liga title runs and then participating in these major, major matches in El Clasico. There was a Mexican, bro, yeah. a Mexican taking part in those legendary matches. And that to me is so rare for a CONCACAF player and more specifically for a Mexico player overall. So for me, Rafa Marquez is just, is, he's, he's an outlier. And what was an incredible club career with Barcelona, but then matching that with an incredible international career with Mexico, making a shit ton of appearances for us at World Cups and in Gold Cups as well, proving to be a pivotal part of the international team, even when he was like 36 years old, coming off the bench against Germany in that iconic victory in 2018 and, prov and providing really solid minutes. Rafa Marquez, until the day he hung up those boots, was a consistent, reliable player. And that's just not something you see often, bro. Shit, man. Yeah, I... First off, beautifully put, but I didn't realize how good Rafa Marquez was for Mexico until he was gone. Yeah. I really took him for granted. It was a younger Soltero, you know, I'll just put, out there, put that out there first, but the first game where he definitively just was not going to play for Mexico, 
I, I found myself a little like nervous as far as like, oh, we're probably going to concede here. <laughs> like when Rafa, like especially 2014 and prior to that, there was a crazy amount of confidence I had in Mexico to be able to kind of defend it. And even if we were to concede, at least I know that Marcus wouldn't make a mistake, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so that having that type of confidence and solidity and just one player who reached the top the pinnacle of european football yeah it's something i completely took for granted you know way back then you gotta add in the leadership too yeah captain in mexico as well that's something we are in desperate need of right now a loud voice someone that can take that role and position rafa marcus did it seamlessly for over a decade and i also think we took that for granted as well so we're seeing the after effects of what a rafa marcus less mexican squad looks like dude for real crazy For, for real who's your third so my third one is completely personal. This is just down to entertainment, perfect, perfect. who I really love to watch. And it's Nathan Ake. Whoa. Dude, I love watching Ake play, man. Really? One of my favorite defenders to just watch play the game of football. And honestly, I can't explain it. I just like the way that he tackles. I like the way that he closes down space. He's so versatile, too. When he gets on the ball... He's kind of cheeky with it, he not is. not not in a flair type of way, yeah. not in a skill set type of way. But God damn it, he's not going to lose the ball. Yeah. He's not going to make a bad pass. And he, when he gets up there and he gets the opportunity to maybe make a cross or get in the box, somehow I trust him. And yeah. I, again, I, I I can't really explain Ake's style of play. All I can say is that it's Nathan Ake, and I love watching the guy play, bro. And honestly. The rest of that Man City backline, I fully, fully trust. There's such, such talent there. But Ake is just, for me, so fun to watch. Yeah, his career has been really interesting. He was at, what, Bournemouth at one point? Yeah, Bournemouth was yeah. Yeah, four into the Prem. F- yeah, for like 40 mil, I think he got bought out by Man City. Then it took him a while, as most Man City players do coming off of transfers, it did. to get settled in. But, but then once he got comfortable, he does have... It got me thinking about the cheekiness of Nathan Ake. It's like a technical cheekiness, like a European cheekiness he has at times. Yeah. Sometimes he makes some really close passes in the back line <laughs> where, where an offensive player is yeah. coming for it, but he just can't get a, he can't get a touch on it. And it's, it's little things like that or you know, getting a header to like win a match or get, doing little exactly. things that are almost like a janitor in that back line, but being good at almost every facet of the defensive game. And being Dutch while he's while he's doing it too, bro. See, I think I, I think honestly, his hair definitely plays a part in it, bro. <laughs> like when I see that guy sprint back to track to track a defender, I I think I just like watching it, man. There's, it, it, there's something yeah, to it. There's he, something to it. It feels like the like the heir to um, what was his name? Davies, the the other Dutchman who wore the goggles. Yeah. Was it Davies? Lewis? I can't remember the I name, but you know who about, I'm talking yeah. about. But in terms of looks, he has to be the heir. Uh, to that man because he has such an interesting yeah frame and stature to him that stands out so much bro Nathan Ake as your third that's completely completely fair so I try to go with a personal one right Rafa Marquez and then I added Van Dyke as like the current player that I like a lot but then I wanted to go with a legend a player that stands out to me that played in the past Mm -hmm. just like how in midfield I went with Zidane I had to pick one that played you know in the 90s and 2000s that I've really liked and kind of wished I could could have seen more of live and I already mentioned him during this conversation. It's, it's Paolo Maldini, bro. Mm. Paolo Maldini. The name itself sounds like something that I mentioned before. Something of the gods. Maldini. The poster boy for what was the golden era of defenders for Italy. Maldini played 25 seasons, bro. 25 with one single team. 
That does not happen. That's anymore. crazy. In any sport, bro. Yeah. In, in any, any sport, sport, that does not happen. Even tennis players change brands or some shit. Bro. Like <laughs> that, that does not happen. Twenty-five seasons with AC Milan at their absolute height. He guided them to five Champions Leagues, winning twenty-six trophies in the process and seven Serie A titles. But what was so dope about Maldini was his versatility. Starting off his career in more of a fullback position and playing in what I believe was as a left back despite being right foot dominant. Mm. He was versatile though. He could do it no matter what. He had no problem taking on that role and responsibility. And he was offensive. He had flair. He had technical ability. But then he was also very calm and composed, electing to play the game with more elegance and intelligence rather than you know chaos and 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 flair and so he was just he embodied what was a captain a leader for a footballing team and he showed it throughout his entire career his look to me is one of the most insane looks i've seen in world football bro he could have been a a fucking versace model bro with those piercing blue eyes that long hair sometimes wearing the headband around it he just looked like a guy from the medieval ages, man. And then you add on top of that the the fact that he represented an institution such as AC Milan. It makes for one of the best and one of the most impressive defensive careers we've seen in the game of football. Never won a Ballon d'Or, but he was in the top three twice, I believe, nice. throughout his career. He has all the accolades to back up the the legend that he is. And so that's a player that I truly wish I could have seen from the beginning of his career and that we could have covered here on the give and go because i truly believe that if if we got to see young maldini bro we'd be talking about this man week in week out think of him almost as like uh if there even existed a better version of Joshko Gavardiol, bro yeah right. a guy that can play in that fullback slot comfortably but that can be an absolute leader for his international team in the center back position maldini was at times 10 so I really, really love everything I see about this guy. Every time I see his highlights pop up, I'm down to sit down and watch him with a glass of wine because Maldini, to me, is my third favorite defender. Yeah, man. I don't know much about him. All I know is that like that name apparently like defi- defined a decade of defensive brutality in Serie A. Like I think he was a really big component of why Italy was, you know, known as incredibly defensive and he was the best at it back then. So yeah, that's all I know about him, but yeah, what, crazy, man. The amount of trophies that he won, that, that that's like that that's that's like Messi Ronaldo numbers as far yeah. as success. And that's the center back you're talking about. Kind of like you mentioned, like Virgil van Dijk. I guess that's what he was like back yeah. then, like the guy for 20 plus years. Absolutely insane. I do Want to put an honorable? Please. I do want to add an honorable mention here. So this is uh, my favorite defender growing up, Evertonian Leighton Baines. Have to put this in here. My favorite fullback of all time, just as far as you know, what is personal to me. I loved his crossing efficiency, efficiency, but more importantly, I loved, especially at the time, you know. 2010 type of football. I loved how unafraid he was to play the ball on the ground. He was such a progressive, forward-going fullback. And especially at the time in the Premier League, bro, when it was mainly just get the ball into the box, boot it up forward, or just send it across, Leighton Baines really preferred to do little one-twos with his midfield. And then he would build a play going forward. And that's why he stood out to me so much because he played a different style of football than the rest of the Premier League was playing. That's what I really enjoyed about Leighton Baines, especially at the time. And that Everton team, 
just beyond Baines was also really, really fun. Yeah. David Moyes, you know, that's what Tim made Howard his career. Tim Howard, yeah, Damn. Tim Howard, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, what, Steven was, Pienaar. Where was he from? He's English. He's English. He's British, yeah. Oh, shit, British. okay. Yeah. Um, did he... Uh, he also had my favorite number, too. He, he donned that shit. What so was the number? Three. Number three. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think I've ever... I think I saw late career Leighton Baines. Yeah, yeah, that's the I thing. That's what is, I caught. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was like 2015. 20, 15, like, yeah, like it. I remember that. That, that I was like the end, bro. The, that was the end, end of it, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, damn that that deserves that deserves praise. That deserves respect. One hundred percent. Shout out Leighton. Leighton Baines, baby. Yes, folks. Please let us know in the comments. I want to know who are your three favorite defenders in world football, whether it's current past or present it does not matter let us know the give and go boys are interested to hear who are your favorite defenders of all time all right let's quickly preview some upcoming games this weekend that we're interested in seeing to me the highlight the one that i'm most excited about is the copa libertadores final absolutely between boca juniors and fluminense mm -hmm. the viewers already know where i stand on this one i'm going all in on boca because of what i said in the past to refresh your mind i said that a brazilian team would not win the copa libertadores trophy this year and there's an actual chance that that might happen so mm -hmm. i'm going argentine boca i hope to see them on the weekend lifting a copa libertadores bro because I don't think I've actually seen that in my lifetime. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, think most people close. have. I think last time was, what, 2007 or something yeah. like that? It's been a long time since Boca have lifted the Copa Lib. Uh, what's crazy, though, bro, and we, we already kind of mentioned it when we did the analysis on the semifinals, both teams, Fluminense and Boca Juniors, really bad form right now in the league. Dude. Really <laughs> yeah. bad, man. Like, yeah. both of them. Fluminense have lost, like, the last three out of their five games – Boca's not getting anywhere near the playoffs no, in Argentina. No. Like, it's it's South American triumph or nothing. Essentially, <laughs> like it, it's pretty bad domestically. It'll be a hell of a game though because yeah. both teams know that. Like to have a chance at a trophy, in, considering their own personal circumstances, I think both teams are going to go all out. And it's going to be a hell of a game. Maracana, mm. Fluminense's home. Mm. Oh, man, we we could also see them lift the trophy too and be massive for their history. Yeah, yeah. And just to kind of go off what you said, yeah, imagine in Europe. Imagine like Real Madrid and I don't know Barcelona being the Champions League, but they're both like yeah. not even the top ten of their league standings. Exactly. So that's what we're seeing right now. It's yeah. fucking weird. But yes, that is one game I'm looking forward to. Another one I'm looking forward to is actually Newcastle against Arsenal. Newcastle hosting this match. This is the test right here. This is the test for both teams, honestly. If I am to see Arsenal come into this ground and get a result. I mean, I think it's massive for them. It would be massive. It's just that string of energy they need to create winning big games in the Prem and getting tested this time against a Newcastle team who just got done molly whopping Manchester United in the Carabao Cup today 3-0. So they're feeling themselves in Arsenal losing 3-1 to West Ham today as well. So I think this one will be really interesting to see. And if Newcastle can win it, it'd be major for them as I'm hoping that they can get into that top four, top five type of finish. So these are the type of games they need to win to get those those results. Yeah. Carabao Cup aside, I think Arsenal are in electric form right now in the Premier League. I think they're slowly finding like a very peak form of themselves. Whereas Newcastle, for me, still haven't done enough to prove to me that they can stay consistently as that they can perform consistently as a top four team in the Premier League, which is why I think I only see Arsenal winning this game. If Newcastle get a draw, I think it'll be hard fought. I don't see Newcastle winning. So I'm going all in on Arsenal beating Newcastle this yeah. weekend. I'm going to go 2-2. Two -two. A little bit of a yeah. shootout here. Yeah. Draw. I don't think I see Newcastle winning. That result against Dortmund, man. Kill my vibe. 
Killed <laughs> Kill my vibe, dude. Bro. Losing 1-0 at home after the way they hosted against PSG, bro. Yeah. I, I took that as a slap in the face, man. And then another game I'm excited for is Dortmund-Bayern. Dortmund-Bayern, bro. Dortmund-Bayern. The, what do they call it? The uh, Classiker? What, what's it? What's the name? Der Classiker. Der Classiker. <laughs> um, but one with a different context than in the past. That's why it stands out to me. Bayern getting knocked out of the DFB Pokal by a third division side today. Insane results. If Harry Kane wants to win a trophy, it's now going to have to be in the Bundesliga or in the Champions League. So in terms of actually getting a result, this is huge for Bayern, beating a Dortmund team that's in the top five right now. And for Dortmund, it's just the classic hosting your rival and trying to get a victory. But the reason it's a different context is because you got Leverkusen at the top of this table right now, guiding it. My beautiful Bayern Leverkusen led by Xabi Alonso, I'm hoping for a draw here. That's why I'm excited for it because if they both can draw and slow their role in the title race, then that gives even more room for a Bayer Leverkusen side who won 5-2 today in the DFB Polka, by the way, to just continue this crazy undefeated run they're on right now in this season and getting more space in the title race to hopefully lift the Bundesliga title. Mm. Yeah, I don't trust any team not named Bayern Munich until proven otherwise, so I'm going Bayern, man. Last game I'm interested in seeing. <sighs> I'm going to say Sociedad Barcelona. Sociedad Barcelona. Sociedad hosting this Barca side. And I just, I've said it before. I predicted Real Madrid would win the title this year. I think this will be a big test for Barcelona because if they once again don't get a result here coming off of an El Clasico loss yeah. and Sociedad who's been feeling themselves this season a little, little bit, a little bit, if Sociedad can get a result, I think it'd be huge for them. Whereas for Barcelona, if they struggle once again, ah, man, that might be tough to come back from this gap that they'd be creating against Real Madrid. So that's why I'm interested in it. Yeah, this will be a really interesting game. Sociedad have been phenomenal in Europe, which is pretty strange because it's almost always the opposite way. They're usually terrible in Europe and pretty good in La Liga. And in La Liga, not to say they have been bad because they haven't. They've been pretty good. But I've caught a lot of Sociedad games in La Liga, just, you know, because i got to always look at my enemies here for Atletico. <laughs> and they, they go through weird spells in every single game where they just don't look good. Yeah. And... It's enough to get results against very, very poor teams, but against you know mid-table teams and up, I see Sociedad as a crapshoot in La Liga, which is why it gets very interesting because Barcelona are kind of the same way, kind of, in the sense that in every game, they have really boring spells where they don't do oh, anything bro. with the ball. Um, so this could be a, a really telling game as far as who really wants it. If Sociedad can really find that form, I think they have the ability to beat Barcelona. Barcelona's peak is a lot higher than Sociedad's, though. So if they find that peak, as they occasionally do, they will easily beat Sociedad. So honestly, I, I see this game as not fifty, quite 50-50, but pretty close to it. I'm going to give it a little bit in Barcelona's favor. But yeah, I mean, I don't expect an easy win, but at the same time, don't expect Sociedad to have a good performance because they might not. They might not. Yeah. They might not. I, I, yeah, this is a tough one. It's a tough one. This yeah, is a tough one. A I could see one. a 1-0 Barca win. Yeah, I could I see could a 1-0 Barca win. Yeah. And then the last result, actually, just to have some fun, Las Palmas Atletico is happening on Friday. Mm -hmm. This feels like the type of game where Atletico drops points. <laughs> well, like they are some bullshit, bro. Well, here's well, here's the interesting thing. I felt the last three out of seven games we should have lost points in La Liga, and we're not we're, we're not, not dropping them. Not, we're not we dropping them. To. Las Palmas will provide no different challenge than we've seen the last month 
So I actually see us winning this, which is crazy. Like, I need to see us actually succumb to our uh, some sort of bad luck to see us lose right now in La Liga because right now we are on a crazy wave of really good performances mixed in with a good amount of luck. Yeah. And it, it's not ending. That, yeah. that That's the thing, especially in La Liga. So for as feisty and as weird as a Las Palmas game on the road might be, I see us winning. I see us okay. beating him, bro. Okay. I'm going to say a little surprise result here on like a, some classic Atleti bullshit because sometimes they just get these random results where they face the lowest teams and then boom, it's a tie. Or boom, they, they lose 1-0 or some shit. I'm going to go with one of those results. We will check back on that in the weekend to see what happens. But if, if Atleti wins once again, bro. We're then, winning again, That's what bro. I'm saying. They're, 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 they must watch TV right now, funny enough. They really that's are. That's why I've caught so many of their games because they're winning like crazy. Griezmann is cooking this season. Atleti might be onto something. Still not fully sure. Thank you.